So um, I, know I just really enjoy working in Washington, D.C. I don't even mind the commute. It's, it's a wonderful place to work. And one of the reasons why I enjoy working in D.C. is I, some, I, I, like every time I'm there, like during lunchtime or around 5 or 6 o'clock at night, I take a 20-minute walk outside. And the 20-minute walk, when I take the 20-minute walk outside, I'm either listening to a sermon or the Bible, most, mostly the Bible, um, and then the Bible and the sermon, right? So sometimes I listen to a sermon, and if I don't understand what it is, I YouTube the verse, and there is a YouTube clip for every Bible verse that interprets what the Bible verse meant. It's fantastic. So I listen to that, and or sometimes I pray. And like I said during the prayer confession, Every time I do this, every time that I walk out and walk with the Lord, literally walk with the Lord, he gives me great spiritual insights. He really does, right? And sometimes if I have such great spiritual insights, I go and talk to my Mormon lawyer friend, you know, try to, you know, evangelize to him about what I heard, right? But, right, but God just gives me such great insights, and I don't think it's because I'm some fancy-schmancy guy, but because the Lord really does speak to his people, okay? So last week, on Wednesday, I was walking down H Street. There's this like, lunch place that I always go to, which is like 20 minutes away from my office. It's called DC Pokey. It's like Chipotle for like, Japanese food, right? It's fantastic, right? On my way to DC Pokey, I was listening to the word, and on my way back, I got this great spiritual insight. And this is a spiritual insight that I got. Ready? I said, oh, I think what the word of the Lord revealed to me was, there's a major difference between a Christian and a non-believer. And one of the major differences between a Christian and a non-Christian is the issue of love. Unbelievers believe that the world doesn't love them and unbelievers spend the entirety of their lives trying to find love. It's either romantic love, or it is either respect or success, all of it, whether it is pursuing romance or pursuing success or pursuing beauty or whatever it is, all these things that we do, I think at the, at the core essence of these things that we do is we seek love and approval. What drives the world, I think, is unbelievers striving to find acceptance and love in a world that they believe that doesn't love them. I'll give you an example. So I was watching a YouTube clip of, of Koreans. I love, I love Korean YouTube clips. And according to the YouTube clip that I watched, it's about like, you know, Koreans, are, Koreans in Korea are, I mean, Koreans in Korea, also Koreans in the US, I suppose, are obsessed with European cars, right? And according to the YouTube clip, right, um, people in Korea do not consider BMW 5 Series or Mercedes-Benz E-Class anything special. They call BMW 5 Series or Mercedes E-Class as taxis because they're so common. And they're so common because people in their 20s and 30s, as soon as they get a job, a lot of them, literally pour all of their paycheck 
into buying that car. They don't save for retirement. They don't save for a house. They don't save for anything. They live in their parents' home. They buy this one purchase, and all their money goes to the depreciating asset. I'm so offending Sean Stark right now. It's crazy. They should take Sean's financial literacy course because that's the anti-Sean Stark. Buying, spending literally, like you make what, $20,000, $30,000 a year? Spending $20,000, $30,000 a year solely on a car. That's why Koreans, when they see a Mercedes E-Class or BMW 5 Series, they think nothing of it. Not Audis. Audis are classy, classy automobiles. Let's not diss Audis. Audis EA, number one, right? Why are those young people doing this? It's because they want other people to pay attention to them and respect them from, for their cars. And they have nothing going for them in their minds. They think, I need that possession to legitimize my existence in the eyes of the world. Buying that car, they're saying, look at me, respect me, value me, love me. You can see that with women who are obsessed with their diet and exercise and their beauty. You can see this men who kill themselves to, for their careers. All of it, you strive for love and acceptability in this world. That's what drives the world. Donald Trump's presidency is basically trying, him trying to find approval in the eyes of Americans. That's what it is, basically, in my opinion. Christians, on the other hand, do not live hungry lives because Christians live this world knowing that they're loved. And because they know they're loved, the remainder of their days it's spent on showing other people, it's giving love to other people. The world starts this world as empty because the world thinks the world is loveless, so they want to earn people's love. Christians know objectively they are loved by God. And they spend the remainder of their days showing this love to the world. That's how God called Christians to live. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 2, last week's sermon. Paul says, in the light of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices for God. What he means is, if you receive God's mercy, if God's mercy has changed you, if you have been so blessed with God's mercy, that for the remainder of your short lives in this world, do not live for yourself. Live for God. How, what does it mean to live for God? So show the world agape love that you see from God. What's agape love? Self-sacrificing, self-denying love for the benefit of others. We have received Jesus's self-denying, self, -denying, self Sacrificing love. 
We are saved because of his self-sacrificing love. Look, what is a Christian? Christian is someone in the eyes of God who is, a Christian is in the eyes of God, someone who is, who is a glorious saint before God. When God looks at a Christian, he doesn't look at their sins. He doesn't look at how, what, what they're lacking. The Christian in the sight of God is a glorious saint. It fills God's heart with such love and pride when he looks at a Christian. If you're a Christian, you are a glorious saint. Why are you a glorious saint? Because Jesus Christ poured out his love for you, his life for you, to love you, to make you clean, to make you acceptable before the eyes of God. Oh, brothers and sisters, in Christ, you are a glorious saint. You may not feel like it, I know. Because we keep on comparing ourselves to the standard and the standard and the voices of the world. We know what we're lacking. We know what, 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 how, how, how um, weak we are, how un, un, unworthy we are compared to the standard of the world. And it's very tempting to examine ourselves in the light of the standards of the world. But those standards are a lie. The true objective standard, the true objective standard is how God sees everything, right? And the, in the eyes of the true objective God, you, my brothers, are glorious saints before God. Because of Jesus Christ. Let this sink in a little bit right now. In Christ, you are a glorious saint that God lifts up and God is so proud of. Because of Christ. Paul says, I think the drive of, for Paul to do his ministry is Paul did, a, Paul did a lot of things for the Lord, but I think the underlying drive that motivated Paul to do what he did was he never got over the fact that God made him a glorious saint. Paul calls himself, before Christ, I was a scum of the earth, he says. I was scum. But in, in the mercies of Christ, Christ saved him and made him his apostle. Paul never got over the fact that a scum like him, in Christ, Christ made him the apostle of his church. That gratitude motivated his life. Similarly, if you are a glorious saint in Christ, you are loved beyond all measure. And if you are loved beyond all measure, your calling in this world until the day you die is to show his love to everyone around you.
is to give of yourself to everyone around you. It is not to hold part of your life for yourself. No, that's how unbelievers live. To give of yourself to all. Look. I was, I was having lunch with Mr. Stark yesterday. Mellow Mushroom, good, good restaurant. I honestly told Mr. Stark, I have no regrets in life, I said. I have no regrets. Even if I die tomorrow, I, Sean's going to make a little epitaph for me, like a headstone for me. PJ, no regrets. I have no regrets, not because I've climbed Himalayas. Why would you do that? Not because I went deep sea fishing. Why would you do that? Right? Not because I traveled the world. I traveled to India. Why would you do that? But by the grace of the mercy of God, he'd made me be used to serve other people. He really did. Whether it is serving my clients or whether it is serving you or the serving my family. Oh, Lord, I am so thankful that I get to be used. I think hell for me is a life of nine to five and going, going back to my house and watching Netflix and playing video games for the remainder of the days. I think that's literally hell for me because that's a waste. That's a waste of a life. That's how unbelievers live for themselves. But for the Christian, you live to show God's love to others. Look, on Wednesday, I had a happy hour in D.C., right? I think I'm the only pastor in America who goes to happy hours, right? So there are, people, there are shots being had and beers being drunk, right? And there are, and it, like, man, COVID better be over because that place was packed. And, like, windows were closed and it was hot and everyone was speaking and whatever. It's crazy. In the midst of that crazy happy hour environment in downtown D.C., one of my coworkers came to me and gave me his testimony, and he was tearing up. In a happy hour, in the middle of, in Wednesday, in the middle of D.C., a man came to me and confessed his testimony to me. And man, was it the alcohol talking? I do not know, but man, my heart felt warm. Because in that moment, in that time, God used me to minister to that man. Praise the Lord for using me. Praise the Lord for using you. Do not hoard your life for yourself in this world. Do not hoard your life for your family in this world. Show agape to the people around you. That's exactly what Joseph has done in the dungeon today. Once again, we're back to Joseph. Joseph is in a pit. He's in a dungeon. He's in prison. And it isn't those fancy club feds, right, where rich people get sent to. It's, he called it the pit, you know? Go see The Dark Knight Rises and look at the Lazarus pit where all the prisoners are hanging out, that kind of environment. 
But in the pit, he, he looks at the two people who are under his charge, the cupbearer of the king and the baker of the king. Joseph is there unfairly. He doesn't know when he's going to get out, right? A, a person can be very self-involved in that kind of environment. When you're self-pitying, when you focus only on yourself, other people's conditions you don't really care for, right? But Joseph in the pit looked at the cupbearer and the baker of the king, and they realized they were downcasted, which means they were depressed. And so he goes to them and asks them what's wrong. Joseph shows what, lo what loving is, and the number one thing of loving someone is you have to notice their needs. We're too busy living our lives, hoarding our lives to ourselves to notice the needs of others. But step one of loving others is God will need to lift your head up from yourselves and be able to look at the needs of others. Joseph had that ability to look at the needs of others. I know you live busy lives. Oh, man, if I hear one more person saying I'm busy, I'm going to lose it. But when you say you live busy lives, it's as if we're using that as an excuse to not notice other people. I'm too busy doing this. I'm too busy doing that. To notice what should be noticed, which is the condition of the people around you. God's calling for you and for me is to notice the condition of the people around you. Yes, he has called you to do a really good work. Yes, he has called you to love your families. Yes, he has called you to do all these things. But... If your eyes are solely blind to only your busyness and completely oblivious to the needs around you, you are not living the Christian life. Joseph had the ability to look at the needs of the two people under his charge. What were the, what was the reason for their being what was the reason for them being downcasted? Reason number 1 the king sent them, they, they angered the king. And the king sent them to prison. If the king is angry enough to send you to prison, you don't know what's going to happen to you. You know what I mean? <laughs> this was before trial by jury or innocent until proven guilty. This was, this was before any of the, like the Constitution of America, right? the greatest document in the modern, modern era, right? America, right? This was before the Constitution, before the Bill of Rights, before due process. If you anger the king, he could send you to jail and he could kill you. These two guys anger the king. And they're in jail. And they have no idea what's going to happen to them tomorrow. Let's put ourselves in their position. They're in prison. 
literally, they don't know whether they're going to live or die tomorrow. Will you not be anxious? Look, when I was younger, I didn't think me and my brothers were anything special. And when I was in college, I was like worried to death about what me and my brothers will be when we grow up. I lost sleep over it. Now that I'm a parent, I lose sleep over of what my kids are going to be when they grow up. Back to lunch with Mrs. Stark yesterday. I was talking about internship with my son. And Sean goes, you know, you should really start internship after you graduate from high school. I go, what? Oh, yeah. Caleb's too late. I said, what? And I said, I, told, I said, my son right now is like sleeping, right? And playing video games. It's been a week since summer vacation. And Sean goes, uh-oh. I go, what? And I go, oh, my gosh. What's going to happen to my son? He's going to still live at home after, after two years? What's gonna, is he not going to get married? Is he one of those guys going to stay in my basement and smoke weed for the rest of his life? What's going to happen? You worry. You worry about tomorrow. All of us worry about tomorrow. These guys, they don't know literally whether they're going to live tomorrow, they're going to live or die tomorrow. Stress. And then they had a dream, right? They had a very vivid, strange dream. And they think these vivid dreams that they had was like a prophecy like a, a vision of telling them what's going to happen. I think they really thought this way. Why? Because people in ancient times thought that the future was predicted either by two, by two ways. Number one, oracle. A prophetess will tell you what's going to happen. Or two, by dreams. People in ancient times thought dreams communicated what was going to happen to you tomorrow. Some physicists believe, right, I saw, not because Dr. Strange says so, but some physicists believe your dreams are just, you know, re reflection of your life in an alternate reality. Dr. Strange had a scientific basis because there are some physicists who think that way. But these guys thought dreams communicated something about their future. They really believed in it. And because their, vivid was so, their dreams were so vivid and strange, they thought their dreams held the key of telling them what's going to happen to them tomorrow. But there was no one to interpret those dreams. Bummer. Think about it. You don't know whether they're going to live or die tomorrow. And you have this strange dream, and you think that dream will tell you your fate. But there's no one to tell you what, there's no one who holds a key to the dream interpretation. That is why they're anxious and worried and bummed out because they don't, no one was interpreting their dreams for them. Joseph saw their need. And by the gifting that God has given them, he went to meet their needs. That's what love is. You look at the needs of others. And by the gift that God has given you, you strive to meet those needs. Do you notice the needs of others? 
Look, the Bible is very clear. If your life is not constantly striving to love others, especially the people in the church, the Bible is telling you to question your faith. I'm serious. James chapter 2. Faith without works is that you may claim that you may have faith. But if your faith is not accompanied by acts of charity and love and service. James says, I don't think your faith is real. Revelation chapter 2. God rebukes the church of Ephesus. He rebukes the church of Ephesus, even though Ephesus, Christians in Ephesus in that church were doctrinally sound. They were battling the, the false prophets of the world, right? They were holding on to the faith, you know, commendably. But God rebukes them because they lack love. You can be doctrinally sound. You can have the right theology. You can attend small group and to, and, and, and to teach right theology. But if your life is void of love, God is saying, that is not my love for you. You're not, you, you're not living the way that I designed you to live, he's saying. Are you living the life of love? Are you noticing the needs of others? If not, dear loved ones, there's something wrong with your faith. You understand? And I'm not saying this to hurt you or to judge you, but to help you, teach you what Christian life is about, which is to notice the need of others and striving to meet it. That's why Jesus gave the parable of the Good Samaritan. Remember the parable of the Good Samaritan? The Samaritan, there was a guy, the Jewish guy who was beaten, lying on the floor, but the Levites and the lawyers ignored him. It's a Samaritan who went and who just healed the needs of that beaten person. He's saying, Christian, that's how you're supposed to live. Look, maybe your ability to meet the needs of others is simply listening to them. Maybe just buy a meal for them and simply listen to them. That's a very, very good thing to do. Maybe you don't have the answers to the person's need. Maybe you don't. I don't. But reaching out and walking with them for a little bit to pray with them, to cry with them, Maybe to point them back to God. Maybe that's the way that God wants you to live. He's not calling you to be a psychotherapist. He's not calling you to be, I don't know, a good suicide prevention counselor. He's not calling you to do any of it. Simply walking with people is the way of love. Let me be very careful, very, very careful here. 
Jesus says to love our enemies. That's what he said. Jesus says, if you only love those who love you, then how are you a Christian? Because even unbelievers love the people that, that love them. If you extract the principle of what Jesus is saying, let's apply it to our lives. I know most of you with families. I'm so proud of you. Your focus is on your families. I know. And that's God's primary calling for you to love your families. Husbands, love your wives well. Wives, please love your husbands well. Parents, raise your children in the Lord. Yes, that's God's primary calling for you. But that can't be the only calling for you. Do you understand? Unbelievers love their spouses. Unbelievers love their kids. But if your life is only about your family and not about the needs of others, especially the people in the church, Jesus is asking you, then how are you different from an unbeliever? You know? In fact, I think helping others, living the way Christ wants you to live in service to others, that will help you in your marriage and that will help you in your family. I'm a firm believer in that. A person who just manages their own own household and have no love for the other people in their lives, I think it's generally a selfishness that drives them and that selfishness will affect the marriage. But if you live a life of service, and if God is, and if, if you live a life of service, God is involved in your service, and if God is involved in that service, then you're going to start changing and growing through the service, and that growth will naturally affect the way you, way you become a parent, and that growth will especially affect your marriage. I'm a firm believer in that. Your marriages and your families prosper when you obey God to live a life of service to other people. Maybe what you need to do for the sake of your family is to give more of yourself to the people around you, to the church. Because I'm afraid if you just hold it just with you, within you and your family, your spirit is not going to grow. Jesus says, number one quality of love is to meet the needs of others. Notice the needs of others and meet them. Because let's think about this. Why did Christ come to us? He came to meet our deepest need. And what is our deepest need? Our deepest need is for our ability to see God and worship him. 
because of Adam's rebellion, all of us are blind to the reality of God. And when we're blind to the reality of God, we think our feelings and our, our, and our shallow thoughts are the truth. And we base our lives based upon our shallow, shallow thoughts and our warped desires. When we live our life based on our shallow thoughts and warped desires, it's chaos. Living a life driven by shallow thoughts and, 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 and warped desires is because we do not see the objective reality that is in God. Christ came to show us God. That's the greatest need. He died so that we can see God. So that we can be led by the voice of God and not by the shallowness of our ideas or our warped desires. We are saved because Christ saw our need and he came to meet it. That's the basis of our faith. We go and we meet the needs of others. And especially the need, their need for God. So the cupbearer tells Joseph his dream. Right? He dreamt that, you know... He, there was a vine on his head, and the branches bore grapes, and the grapes like fell out, and grapes. I don't know. Look at the details of, the, of what he dreamt. That's not important. But Joseph said, "Interpretations come from the Lord. Dream interpretations come from the Lord." Which means what he's saying here is the interpretation that he is giving to the cupbearer is the word from the Lord. He's saying, I'm interpreting your dreams, and your dreams, that is coming from the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Are you with me? Joseph is not saying his opinion. He's saying he's communicating God's word to the cupbearer. And when the cupbearer hears the interpretation, which means the Lord is telling the cupbearer through Joseph, that in three days, you're going to get out of prison. And in three days, you're going to get, not only get out of prison, but you're going to be restored to your previous position. When the cupbearer heard that news from the Lord, it filled his heart with joy. The word of the Lord is telling the cupbearer, cupbearer, you're going to live and you're going to thrive. And the cupbearer goes, oh, we, oh, my. I'm going to live. It fills with his heart with joy and hope. We don't need someone to interpret our dreams for us to know the word of God. We have the word of God in the, in the Bible. And the word of God communicates the same thing that that Joseph's word communicates to the cupbearer, which means the word of God gives you hope, tells you what you're going to be in Christ. The word of God leads you to God himself. Our greatest need is to see God. The word of God leads you to God. And when the word of God leads you to God, when you see God personally, your heart will begin to live, and your heart will begin to be filled with so much hope. And that's so true. How do I know? Friday at small group. Let's go. 
The reason I go to small group, by the way, is to get sermon illustration. That's the only reason I'm going, right? I go to small group on Friday. And when I, when I went to the Friday small group in Arlington, man, it was like single dudes and Heather just eating quietly. I go, what's going on? And I looked at Yo, and Yo was like eating and sleeping, sleep eating. And I go, Yo, you okay? And Yo, I quote, says, I'm stupid tired, quote unquote. Not my words, his words, right? Yo was, quote unquote, stupid tired. And I go, uh oh. And I said, hey, who's leading small group? People say, Yo, I go, uh oh. But man, oh man, as the discussion got warmed up, as God is being discussed, as the truth is like permeating in that place, I could see my little brother coming alive. Ask him, I'm not lying. And I said, dude, you look different. He said, yeah, I feel refreshed. Exactly what is happening to the cupbearer, what's happening to Hill, and it happens to all of us. When the word of God leads you to God, and when you are personally persuaded by God, your heart will live, your mind will be filled with hope, your soul will be nourished, and you will come alive. It's true. It's so true. That's why it's so important for you to be nourished, to be exposed, to discuss, to listen, to come on Sundays to listen so that your heart will live. You know? The word of God nourishes you, wakes you up. It gives you hope. Why in the world will you purposely close your eyes to his word? Why would you do that to yourself? I don't know. Why do you do it? You tell me. Why do you keep continually living your life spiritually starving? Why do you insist on continually living your life confused and hopeless? Why do you live like that when you do not have to? You know, when the baker hears what's happened to the cupbearer, the baker had the dream too. He goes, huh? the cupbearer got good news, hot dog. Maybe there's good news for me. So he goes to Joseph and tells him his dream. And Joseph gives him the word of God. And the word of God to the, to the baker was different. He says, three days, the word telling him, three days. Oh, baker, you're going to get out of here all right. But you're going to be led to a tree, and they're going to hang you, and you will die in three days. The word from the Lord spoke condemnation and judgment to the baker. The word of God is truth. 
And to those who belong to God, the word of God awakens and gives hope and enlivens. That's true. But the word of the Lord is also the source of condemnation to those who are perishing. Hebrews chapter 2, the word of God is sharper than two-edged sword. It divides the souls and marrow, bones and marrows, he says. It reveals the thoughts and intentions of men. The word of God is good news to those who are saved. But to those who are not saved, it will be the source of condemnation. The word of God reveals what sin is. You do not know what sin is until God, you read the word of God and you realize what sin is. And you li- not only do you know what sin is, you realize the reality of sin within you. It's true. Read the word of God. The word of God will more than anything else convict you of your inner reality of sin. And that's true. The word of God reveals what happens to men in their sins. The word of God also gives hope, right? If you believe in Christ, your sins will be forgiven. But the opposite is also true. If you don't believe in Christ, you will be condemned. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him shall have eternal life. What is the flip side of that? If whoever believes in him have eternal life, whoever doesn't believe in him will not have eternal life, will have eternal death. The Bible is good good news, but it's also a source of condemnation. That is why when we preach the good word, it can be used as an instrument of salvation, but also an instrument of condemnation. You say the word, if they accept you, praise the Lord, it's saved. But if they reject you, make fun of you, the word of God will be used as their condemnation. A warning to those of us who are growing up in the church who is constantly being exposed to the gospel. Peter says continually to check whether your faith is genuine before it's too late. He's meaning you're surrounded by this truth all the time. And the problem of being surrounded by the truth all the time is thinking that you actually believe in this stuff. Where in reality, you don't. But the problem of constantly being around it with this stuff, and yet you don't believe year after year, if that's the case, then this great opportunity that God has given you each week to have faith in him, this opportunity that he has continuously given to you could be used to condemn you if you genuinely don't believe it. Do you understand? If you're always around it, but not believe it at the end, then all this grace that he has given you of his truth will be the source of condemnation for you. So you need to make sure you believe this. So Joseph interprets the dream. Three days later, It happens exactly the way Joseph said it would. Joseph communicated the word of God, and the word of God did exactly what it said it was going to do. Three days later, the cupbearer's cupbearer's out of prison. Three days later, 
the baker is hanged. The word of God will happen the way it's said it's going to happen. The promises of scripture will be fulfilled. The Old Testament prophesies about Christ and coming of Jesus, and that was fulfilled. The word of God prophesies of what's going to happen to the church in the future, and that will happen. It will happen. The word of God will not will be fully realized. And this is very important for us to always believe. We need to believe that it is God's world and he's going to do everything that he says he's going to do. We need to hold on to this belief because boys and girls, the world is not going to, is not going to, never, is not going to go the way that you thought it would. You're going to have many disappointments in life. And the only way to not lose hope in God when you have disappointment in this life is to believe that the word, that God will do everything that he says he's going to do. Let's look at Joseph. Joseph, in prison, he knows he's falsely accused. He wants to get out. But then one day, the warden tells you, tells him, the cupbearer and the baker, the officials of the king, is going to be under your care. Joseph thought, God's being merciful to me. He's purposely sending these guys so that he'll rescue me to these guys. And then he, Joseph had the opportunity to interpret the cupbearer's dream. <gasps> okay, if I help this guy interpret this dream, then he's going to get me out of here. Right? That's what Joseph, that's what Joseph told the cupbearer. Look, I will interpret this dream for you, but remember me when you get out of here. Speak, tell, tell the king that I'm falsely accused. You're my hope, Obi-Wan. You're my only hope, cupbearer. I'm going to interpret this dream. You're going to get out. Remember me, tell the king. And Joseph really thought it's going to happen, right? Look, look at the chances. What are the chances of the cupbearer ending up in Joseph's care? What are the chances of Joseph being able to interpret the dream? It's all fate, Joseph says. It's going to happen. Cupbearer gets out of prison. In the last verse, in verse 23, the cupbearer forgot about Joseph. I think Joseph really thought that he was going to get out. He looked at the signs, and I'm pretty sure he was sure of it. Surely it's God's will to get me out of prison through this guy. But Joseph didn't. But the cupbearer forgot about him. How will you survive in such heartbreaks? Listen to me carefully. Thing. The rough thing about life, it's not going to go well the way that you expect. How do I know? This, this season is TJ season. It's college admission season and TJ season. April is a very tough time for parents, Korean parents, by the way, because it's TJ season and college season. TJ is the Thomas Jefferson of science or whatever, right? The best high school, is it still the best high school? Let's say it's still the best high school in the nation. And it is the goal of every Asian parent to send their kids to TJ, right? Fine school. 
And so the results came out. And I, looked, I, went, I went to the DC Urban Mom portal, right, to see what the reaction was. Chaos. One parent said, my child is taking college. She's, she's, she's in eighth, eighth grade. My child is taking college-level math courses at Nova. And he got waitlisted. Whereas a kid that I know who's taking algebra one in eighth grade got a B minus, and he made it in. In her calculation, her son should have gotten in. In the probability world, in the just world, in a predictable world, her son should have gotten an in, not the B minus algebra one kid. Can you imagine the heartache? TJ parents, four years later, four years later, TJ, TJ kids. So they want their kids to go to TJ because they think TJ is, way to, is, a, is a ticket to Ivy Leagues or UVA at the most, safe, safety school UVA. But I read on other parents' portal, top 10% of the kids graduating from TJ last year went to mediocre schools. <gasps> In their calculus, when they were sending their kids to TJ, they said, if my kid graduated from top 10 from TJ, hey, it's Ivy League City, baby, right? A lot of those kids don't end up in the Ivy Leagues. They don't end up in Caltech or Carnegie Mellon. In their calculus, they said, surely my kid will make it. They go to the best school in the country. They have a 1600 SAT. Surely my kid will make it. Life is like that. It will never go the way you thought it will. It won't. And the sheer pride of thinking the, your, the world will operate the way exactly that you ought to go, that's pride, that's insanity. And God, by his grace, will wake you out of that insanity by not letting what you think ought to happen, happen. How do you survive the heartbreaks, the disappointments? You survive it by going to the basic faith. That the world doesn't revolve around you, you crazy person. The world revolves around the will of God. And God will do all that he says he will do. If your focus is on the will and the sovereignty of God unfolding in your life, and if that's the thing that matters to you, you can survive any disappointment. But if you're the center of the world, little disappointments will break your heart into a million pieces. What matters is God's decree, God's will, God's plan, God's purposes, God's establishing his work because those things are the best for me and you. And God will do all that he says he's going to do. That is the faith we need to hold on to as we live this world. Let us pray.